To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey, everyone. Here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal? Investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. You can see over there, we're building 45 brand new dishes. And that means that when you put them together with all the different radio telescopes all over the world, then we get to hear farther into space than anybody's ever heard before. Are there other people out there in the universe? That's a good question. What do you think, huh? I don't know. It's a good answer. Skeptic, huh? The most important thing is that you all keep searching for your own answers. I'll tell you one thing about the universe, though. The universe is a pretty big place. It's bigger than any anyone has ever dreamed of before. So if it's just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. Right? Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com, recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio. Happy Thursday. You can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm and Facebook.com slash POS sarcasm. You can find me on TikTok at positive sarcasm, parlor at pot POS sarcasm. You can find me at positive sarcasm.com. No fucking shit. Uh, <laughs> recorded here for the spare part studio. Uh, yeah. So yesterday I had to attend to other things, uh, but felt pretty good. Uh, you know, I felt good at the end of the day, which, you know, Right now, with everything going on, I'm, I'm my stress is at an all-time high, so it was nice to be comforted by the knowledge that I am still of use um, in some people's eyes. So that was a good feeling. Uh, it only brings more promise to the fact that I'm uh, condensing this situation and moving to the underground studio for the next five months, and then when I move to the ocean, uh, my promise of basically not completely falling apart is uh, more of a possibility uh, each and every day. So it gave me the drive to keep going. And it was one of those things like 
to how do I put it? Like oddly, like if, if you ever had to like it's it's I don't know how terrifying it is. It's been so long since I've actually gone back and thought about it. Like when I left, actually, you know what? When you really think about it, when I was leaving high school, I couldn't wait to leave home. Like when the moment I applied for, because I didn't really think about it at the time when I was applying for college, because you know, that's the one thing it's like, okay, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to have to drive there every fucking day and attend bullshit classes. I don't really care about with teachers. I don't give a shit about it. Just, it just, to me, it felt like I was going through the motions. I wasn't motivated to go. I wasn't motivated to study, but, and then on top of that, I was driving there. So I had to get in my car and drive, I don't know what, 30 minutes every day back and forth. Uh, and, you know, back then, it's not like you're driving, uh, you know, a brand new car. You're driving like a car that already has like a hundred something thousand miles on it. So you're already, you're now spending money for college and you're spending money on your car and you're spending for money on the maintenance of the car. It's like, okay, what gives? So the moment that I got accepted to, it was like a month later, a moment I decided to apply for uh, housing. And you don't think about it back then because you don't see the money. That's the one thing that kids don't see when they're young. They just go, oh, I'm going off to college. But they don't think about the repercussions of the money they're going to have to pay back later. That doesn't, that sobering experience doesn't occur until five years down the road. For some people, two and a half, they fail out of college. But they don't think about it. So it's just like, all right, whatever. It's just another bill. They go to college. And for me, it's like, I don't want to go to college, but now I got to drive there every day. So I have to go somewhere that I hate doing every single day. Well, it sounds like employment if you ask me. So, okay, I'm not making any money. I have to pay this back in the end and I have to drive there every day. Well, F that noise. So the uh, the idea of just being able to get approved and stay there, it was like a field, it was like a two and a half year field trip. So I'm like, cool. So I didn't think about it. I literally just jumped in my car. I didn't have any belongings, none whatsoever. I literally just got approved for uh, a room at the college jumped and all I I literally fell asleep I I fell asleep uh in my suede jacket that's all I had was just a suede jacket and called my mother and, and said uh I'm in college that was it see you bye didn't have any uh departure anxiety or withdrawals it was, I'm, I'm I'm gone see ya I'm on my own I have a suede jacket and that's it I work at Sears or at least I did for a little while I did that for two and a half months and then I basically ghosted that fucking place uh, so, but then after that, I just ran up a $2,000 credit card. I didn't think about any of it. It was just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're never, I'm never going to have to pay this back. And then, well, that comes to a screeching halt real quickly when you run up a $2,000 credit card bill. And then two and a half years later in college, you realize that you don't even want to be there in the begin with. And now you re- just want to get out as quickly as possible. And then that next thing you know, you have a $2,000 credit card debt and a $34,000, uh, federal student loan it's like oh shit so that that the the whole thing of leaving college i couldn't wait to get out but i couldn't wait to go there and there was no sense of traveling like you had no uh uh, belongings back then like you had no belongings back then you didn't care the thought of just running out of the house didn't mean anything to you 
And maybe that had something to do with the generation back then. I don't know, because at least in my eyes, I didn't care. Now the prospect of moving is for me, it's like an it's like an 80-year-old with back pain trying to get out of bed in the morning. It's like like uh, to me, moving to the ocean is that effect. It's like, I gotta get out of bed in the morning. Oh, it's not worth it. That's what I'm facing right now. The but I what the thing is is this is the one thing I've wanted to do in a very long time. But no longer is the option of just running out of the house with the suede jacket. Now it's I'm planning for the biggest moment in my life. And I have to manage to move a gym that I'm building, my two cars, an entire uh, uh, personal existence of, of furniture, and an entire business. And that is tough. I guess is one way to put it. Well, no shit. But going through those motions and being able to move everybody. I, I remember bringing stuff up here five years ago. Like just moving stuff up here. I, it was It was just me. I only had me. I didn't have a lot of stuff back then. I basically slept on a futon. I had no money. I had no bed. I had a fucking futon mattress that some, you know, and I, that's all I had. And I slept on the floor. Now the idea of moving all of this stuff, all this great stuff, and trying not to break all of it in the meantime. But back then it was like, okay, I just got a free giant, you know, uh, leather uh, leather recliner. Well, how am I going to get it up the stairs? I'll fi- I'll figure it out. I literally was levitating this narrow stairwell that goes up to my place. And I just was somehow able to get this giant ass recliner. Number one, it almost flew out of the back of the rental truck. Like it wasn't attached to anything. I just threw it in the back of the rental truck, drove down the highway and hope it didn't fly out of the truck, which it almost did. And then got it here, somehow got it out of the truck, returned the car, the truck, and then somehow managed to levitate this recliner up the stairs and land it where it eventually still sits. And that's just one item. There's also all this other stuff that was not built before it got up here. It was in boxes. So I now have the, the idea of that. That's all in my head right now. And now it's all being condensed. And this is essentially the only room that's still put together. And that's going to come to an end in about two weeks. So that is all in my head. And it's only to move again. I'm doing all this only to move again. But the next position will be to, once this is done, like once this all this stuff is packed up, it goes downstairs, it just stays down there. The only stuff that's really getting uh, taken out of the box, per se, is just some of the podcast equipment to go to the underground studio, which will be very small and camera-friendly only. So that's what you'll see, is you'll see a nice little studio set up, like a, a nice little booth with multiple monitors and everything going and cool, but you won't see anything else around it. It'll just It'll literally be a house of cards. But it'll look good. And then only to move it all again five months down the road. It's it's an it's a it's a thought worth thinking about uh 
after the week I've had, after the things that are going down, after all the research I'm doing, and there's just so much going. I get it. Like right now, I know there's people that are homeless. There's people that can't afford their rent. There's people that are having tough times. But it's like at the end of the day, you have to. At the end of the day, nobody cares about your problems. They don't. You have to remember that like if you're looking for charity, you're looking for the wrong thing. You should be looking for a way out. You should be looking not for excuse me, not looking for a way out because that's easy. You can just wrap your lips around a fucking revolver. But if you're looking for a way up, you have to build those stairs yourself. You can't finance those stairs. You can't loan get a loan for those stairs. You have to build them. You have to build them. And you have to understand this and also take into the account take into account this. There are people out there that are not willing to make less money. Think about that. There are people who hate their jobs, people that don't have jobs or they just got out of a job or they just got laid off from their job. They're not willing to make less money. They'd rather stay on unemployment or they're just they can't fathom the idea of having a career change or they can't it's been so long since they've made that amount of money or that received that much compensation. That the idea, the idea of making less money or receiving less compensation causes discomfort in their brain. Such as, I've, I've, um, how was, wait, I like, I've been in this position for so long. I've done this much college. I have this much certification. I deserve that much money. Do you? Do you really deserve that much money? Do you deserve that much credibility? No, apparently not. Because if your company laid you off, you obviously don't matter. At the bottom line of it, if your company fired you or if your business failed, a lot of the times, uh, pandemic or not, that's on you. That is on you. You didn't have, there are a lot of situations. For, I will give you some exceptions. If you live in New York, if you live in California and you either can't you either can't work because of the government or your business is shut down because of the government the government's there I will give you I will at this point grant you an exception. However, I did tell you to leave. I did tell you to pack it up. You will have to leave the sunny wildfires of Southern California. You will have to leave the, quote, hustle and bustle of New York. You will have to close up shop. You will have to take an L, and you'll have to relocate somewhere else. You'll have to do that. Because at this point, you're just trying to save yourself. And that's that's the only, uh, what do you call it, pass I'll give you is if you're in one of those two states. But if you're in Texas... If you're in Florida, if you're in Iowa, if you're in New Hampshire, you're in Maine, Connecticut. Okay, well, guess what? Fucking figure it out. And if you can, if you can, you can afford to make less. The idea of not being able to afford this or that or the other thing discomforts people in such a way that they almost turn their mouth turns sour to the idea of making going entry level or taking significant steps back in their life. Then again, are they? Now is maybe a good time to start going down a path that is you build your own of, that you're building yourself. I don't I can't tell you what's going to happen in the next six months or in the next year. There is a lot, there is a lot of uncertainty going on right now with everything. And 
now, but now is the best time to create a plan for yourself. Because you don't understand, with everything moving around so quickly and everything so chaotic and with so much blood in the streets and so much to what's to come, now is an opportunity to stake your claim in a world full of chaos. If you show some confidence, some uh, organization, some order, some plan, then everybody who is blind may look to you for answers. And remember, you're not trying to give advice. You just lead a path of, like by example. So you like with everything going on. Remember, I, I talked about in this podcast with all the craziness going on and the finger pointing and the chaos and the corruption and the pandemic and the, and the layoffs and the civil unrest. I told you to follow the money. I told you to follow the money, make the market work for you. If you are in if you are in a financial situation where you can move to a place that better suits your lifestyle, you need to do that. If you are in a position to scale back on your stresses in your life where you can financially be comfortable and start doing things on your own so that you can supplement some of the lack of cash that's coming into the house, maybe you should consider doing that. But you can only do it for yourself. You can only do it for yourself and have and set aside a little island a little digital island for yourself that people can visit if they're looking for information. And they may, some of them, remember, when you are a comedian, you're not supposed to win over the entire room. Some comedians go out of their way to walk almost the entire room. When I say walk, I mean they go out of their way to make sure that almost the everybody sitting down gets up and leaves out of being for whatever reason. Because they enjoy that. They enjoy digging a hole for themselves. Comedians love challenges. Real comedians, anyways. So, because it almost gets boring and repetitive up there for them when they're talking about the same material. So sometimes they dig deep and they have a little fun with it. So, when you think about it, it only makes sense to build a little digital island for yourself and see which niche of the population, which small segment, very small segment of the population, gravitates towards your way of thinking that's called an audience but you can't be you can't be fraudulent you can't be bullshit you can't be faking what you're preaching my whole point is i take all the crap that's been given to me all the crap the leftover garbage the stuff that nobody has time to be wasting with the spare parts and figuring out a way to make use of it in some way, shape, or form, this is essentially a, this is nothing more, or it was at one point, a digital scrapyard. This was full of parts and products that nobody thought would be of any value. I had, and, and that, from that, I learned to create a circuit board of computers that when used correctly, to the best of their abilities, I was able to create a studio, an, uh, an excuse me, two, three editing bays, multiple monitoring, uh, multiple TV monitors, a camera setup that supported all of my additional equipment that I had to purchase out of pocket, and from that. Being able to afford all that, 
I was able to purchase new or refurbished or used products to support the ever-changing environment that demanded me to actually buy shit. But if I was out there buying high-end machines right off the bat, there'd be nothing here. There'd be nothing here. I wouldn't be able to do this. Because then I would have had to start slinging bullshit. You remember, every time that you have to go out and buy a brand new thing or a brand new software, a brand new computer, a brand new camera, it makes it a lot harder to have to turn down bullshit uh, assignments. Like I do, like for example, I do weddings because I enjoy them. I do commercials because I enjoy them. I like the creative process. But I don't sell out my creative process, my viewpoint of how I like to edit stuff to appease the consumer. Don't get me wrong, I do make adjustments for the consumer and sometimes I really hate some of the things I have to adjust. Um, But at the end of the day, I do the stuff that I like with this company and the things I do on the side. And because I'm able to pick and choose some of the things that I wanna do and I don't get sucked down you know, wormholes of bullshit that, uh, that ultimately cost me time and money, I'm able to plan out carefully and slowly my next adventure, my next plan of attack, my next video or or what I'm going to say in the podcast. And I don't have to kiss anybody's ass. Nobody's. And in the next five months, I'm planning some additional content that dives deeper into some of the, some of my more, uh, more, what do you call it? Detailed experiences in life, professionally, um and what have you and that will be telling and it will be really crucial information and i hope that it's a value to the niche audience that i've created but it will take a a strong effort for me to persevere over the next few months while i'm in the underground studios while putting up with the daily bullshit so I can make it to the dream that I have put so much time and thought and effort into. I am so, you understand the idea of a dream come true is something that a lot of people fail to achieve all the time. I'm actually that close. I'm that close. And to realize that, that like, I'm, I, am the, I am that close. There's only a few more obstacles in the way. Now, granted, they are the ebbs, the everyday obstacles that people run into, but I am that close. And did the pandemic do me any favors? Actually, yeah, it did. This, for some people, this created obstacles. For me, this created more opportunity when it comes to real estate, when it comes to traveling. Well, not so much traveling like out of state, but traveling as far as where I have to, what I have to do every single day. This has allowed me to allocate funds more towards where it's needed. And eventually when the clouds, if the clouds dissipate, if we're not in a civil war, the options of what I'm able to do will be far will be far greater. Like I'm working on the coffee. I have now timed the coffee down to the point where I have that exactly how I would, if I was to drink one coffee every day, this would be the coffee I would drink. And I've perfected that. And I can afford to. I could afford to take the time, make a few mistakes, burn a few beans, and get it right. And now I can deliver something to you folks as well. A little niche market. 
I can deliver a podcast to you that you can ingest and understand and enjoy. And if you follow along long enough, you start to get an, an idea of, in a sense of what I'm, what I've become and what I'm a, a basically all about. I've made a few mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, because I do this on my own. I'm generally an introvert. So when I voice my opinions about certain things, you know, sometimes it comes off not as well as maybe I'd hope. But at the end of the day, fuck it. I know I'm right. I, I've been pretty damn right about a lot of things here. And I've stayed pretty conservative on my approach to most things. I do take a lot of risks all the time. But it's only in effect to myself. I try not to, to get in the, in the way of other people's dreams or people got it hard right now. So I try not to get in other people's way or make it more tough or tough or difficult for them to do their everyday job. I don't walk into a situation uh, and go out of my way to be a prick. But you throw enough whiskeys in me and you start talking to me about stuff that I think is clearly bullshit. Yeah, well, guess what? You're probably going to get me to go on a tear. But right now, all I care about is just getting to the ocean. That's it. That's my goal. All this stuff's coming with me. And you will see, and I will present to you, once I get, once I personally am able to digest what I've accomplished, I will then visually display it to you. Because there was an article here about um, when is it appropriate to take a, take a moment in and when is it appropriate to, what's the name of the article actually? I have it here. Is it possible to be fully present in the moment and also capture it? And for the most part, to the amateur videographer or photographer, no. No. Because you're you're, you are understanding, you understand, you're fully aware that you're recording at the same time that you are ingesting the moment. So when you understand that there is another eye on you, like, you know, whether it's a GoPro or you're holding a camera or you have your phone on you, especially a cell phone, you are not in the moment. You're not in the moment. You are displaying what you sh say you feel like in the moment, but you're actually recording in order to display it to an audience, and that's not, you're not in the moment. That's fraudulent. So when I'm down there, it's important for me to take in the moment myself before pip turning on the camera and displaying, giving an idea giving you an idea of how I actually felt. Once I fully understand, once you fully invest, ingest yourself, once you fully dive into a moment and you're able to understand it and feel it to the appreciation that it deserves to be felt, then you turn on your cameras, then you go for the recording and everything like that. That's important. Now, eventually, if you get good at it, you can then start to parcel, you can, you can start to split down in the middle. You're capturing the can. You're holding a camera, but at the same time, you are experiencing the moment. But that's still super difficult. Generally, like for example, if you're going on vacation, people go on vacation. They take their cameras, they take their cell phones, they take their their video gear, they take their drones, and then they go and they record. But are you actually fully captured in the moment? You climb a mountain. Are you there to climb the mountain and, and enjoy the mountain? Or are you there to climb your mountain and then fly your drone and take your pictures and then poof? Yeah, we were there. No, you were only there for five minutes. I didn't really take a take a moment to take in the sunshine or anything like that. It's like, 
That doesn't make any, that doesn't work. Why are you going on a vacation? Why, you're going on a vacation or do, going on a trip for somebody else's enjoyment. That doesn't work. That doesn't, that's not how it's supposed to be. You go to a movie to watch the movie. You go to a, a boxing match to enjoy the boxing match. You go to dinner to enjoy dinner and be around company that, well, I mean, used to, go around company that you enjoy being around. I mean, nowadays you can't really go to dinner. I mean, that's there's too many stipulations for it to actually almost be enjoyable at this point, unless you live in Texas or Florida. But still, I'm saying that to go down there and move to a place that I've been dreaming about for the longest time, just for to be at peace, that's all. To understand that and to achieve it, I have to take that moment for myself. And then you can record. So what you do in the meantime is you take video, you start shooting now. You start shooting now and then you, once you've fully been in the moment and you've enjoyed, you've taken in that new ocean feeling and that new experience personally, you then go back to some of the video that you've taken while you were in the process of moving or whatever and then you put it together with the stuff that you're about to shoot and then you're you are able to take people along in that journey of shooting of starting the move the move itself the final destination and then some type of overlay of this is what i've achieved this can be the same for anything if you're going on a if you're going on a a, a, a vacation but you're going to like you went to say you went to Palm Beach one year and then you went back again the next year. The first time is for you. For the most part, the first time is for you. The second time, you can film. But the first time you need to understand why you're going because you need it. You need that time away. You need to reinvest in your life. That's why you go the first time. The second time, you can capture it in a more uh you can encap you can capture it more you can go you can have your cameras with you you get a better understanding of, you get a better understanding of where you're going what you're doing so throwing the cameras in the mix makes it so much easier and it's not a, a hassle you're not just looking for angles you're having a good time while looking for angles which makes you have more of a good time it that's the process so like if you're built then if you're building a car you're designing a car. You're working on a car. Same, it's a lot of the same thing. However, there are moments when you are able to capture a moment while being present. For example, time lapses. Time lapses or just raw recording. When you're just hitting record and then going to do what you're going to do. Then you could be kind of present in a moment. Time lapses are kind of being present in the moment because that's just taking a moment in time and speeding it up. And that is overwhelming to people to watch a time lapse. Time lapses are a lot. There's a lot to ingest. Things are moving very quickly. Time is passing through at an accelerated rate. So people kind of, it, it, it evokes feeling. It, people's biggest fear is, is time passing to, too, too quickly to the point where they feel like they haven't accomplished anything. Time lapses create that. Time lapses create that very, very much. So... The this week has proved a lot as far as being able to understand myself and having opportunity and understanding that people are 
not taking advantage of a situation where they are almost being too greedy. There are people out there that have it bad, but there are also people out there just as much who are greedy, who are not doing things on a singular level where, why are you doing this? Why don't you just do it yourself? So, and it's equal, it's equal opportunity. It's equal parts too. For every person that can't do something, there is a person who's being too greedy. So, anyways, um, we are at 29 minutes today. It's This is a later episode. Uh, this is not the normal day that I shoot generally. I normally shoot on a Wednesday evening. So, I'm just going to go ahead and proceed on with going to Q&A. And we're just going to go out and get out of here for the day. Because it has been, it's been a, uh, this December has dragged. And will continue to drag. So I'm and obviously following the money and following the stock market and trying to do all this research is exhausting. And t- today was just one of those days. It's like, ugh, god damn it. So let's just go ahead, do some Q&A, see what everybody else's bullshit problems are. And then we'll go ahead and we'll just calmly get right out of here. But anyways, also, if you want to support the podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Anyways, let's go ahead and get to the big Q&A. Um, I got a bunch of stuff for Sunday leftovers, but... Let's go ahead and just kip, kipper. Let's go ahead and get right to this. I got a bunch of decent ones. All right, so dig.com Q&As. These are generally first world problems, which I love. Can I buy my in-laws a recycling bin for Christmas to try to get them to start recycling? My husband and I live in the same suburb as his parents, which provides weekly curbside recycling pickup. But my in-laws, 70, in decent health, do not recycle. I cringe watching them throw away bottles and cans whenever we visit. I had the idea to give them for this coming Christmas a nice trash can with separate compartments for trash and recycling, along with a, res- a supply of required clear bags. So they have all the all the so all they have to do is set out set the bag out on the curb. But could this be perceived as imposing my hippy dippy ideals on them or trying to guilt them into recycling? Well, yes, that would be imposing your ideals. Number one, if you wanted to approach them about possibly recycling, then you approach them. If they are in-laws or parents or family members or friends, you can approach them. You can always approach them about asking them to do this and be like, listen, here's the uh, here's my, uh, what do you call it, uh, proposal. If you're willing to, if you want to recycle, I'll make it super easy for you. I'll get the trash can that you're supposed to use. I'll get the bags for you. And all you got to do is do this. And it does. It takes you a while to get used to it, to that pattern. And don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with recycling. I know there's a lot of argument about, what do you call it? How much it works. I mean, depending upon what state you live in, what city you live in, how effective it is, how efficient it is. But okay, I get it. You're just trying to help. I appreciate that. But yes, you are imposing your ideals if you just buy them this. You need to discuss that with them. It's their home. It's their decision. And if their city doesn't have an ordinance for it, there's really, it's not your place. But if you want to discuss it with them and offer them this, it's you could just do it in passing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But I think that it, it you could recommend it, obviously. But don't go buying shit for people that basically says, hey, this is my virtue signaling. This is me virtue signaling to you that you need to start doing this. That's not a cool thing to do, especially with family members. That's a definite turnoff. So please don't do that. Consult and talk to them and offer before you do anything else. 
what I'm essentially saying is only do this, don't do the other. Let's move on to the next one. Should I let my roommate move into my bedroom after a nasty breakup with our other roommate? Oh, geez. I share a house with three roommates, Andy, Kia, and Lynn. Kia and Lynn are lesbians. Well, I'm a straight girl. Andy is a straight guy. Andy and I have two upstairs bedrooms and share a bathroom. Lynn and Kia shared the master bedroom, and there's a half bath downstairs. Kia and Lynn have broken up and basically can't be around each other without breaking out into an argument. You know, it's funny is I, I, I heard the stereotype that uh, lesbians, they, they meet on the first date. They move in on the second date. Wonder if that's true. Uh, Lynn is on the lease, so Kia is one of the. If that's the case, why the hell would you let them be? Never mind. I'm not going to. <laughs> Lynn is on the lease, so Kia is the one who got kicked out of the bedroom. Kia is camped out in the living room, and we all hate it because her stuff is everywhere, and we cannot use the space. She is also using our bathroom to shower, and Kia has nowhere to, else to go, and got laid off because of the pandemic. She has a few side hustles, but can't afford to move out. None of us, even Lynn, want to kick her out, but the tension in the house is high. Kia thinks the solution is to move into my bedroom with me, since I only have a twin bed and another one can fit in easily. I don't want that. I had to share a room growing up, and it was hell. I want my privacy. I think Kia can move into the dining room we rarely use and put up curtains to make it private and use the half bath. She and Lynn can grow up and arrange a shower schedule. Kia doesn't want that because the noise from the stairs and kitchen will keep her up. Andy and I work nights and cook when we get home. Lynn told me to be more accommodating, and I told her she doesn't get to drag me into her drama. She broke up with Kia, not me. This is her fault and her responsibility. Not a matter of fault, but it is her responsibility. Key and Lynn are now fighting with me. Andy has declared himself Switzerland. <laughs> Good man. He knows how to do this. And can't I can't afford to break the lease. I can get out in February. How do I handle it till then? Okay, well, if your lease is up, you if you can get out in February, you let Lynn move into the bedroom. Because it's only one and a half months. So one and a half months of hell, and then you leave. And you say, uh, this is going to be your room, and then I'm outie. That's it, and just leave. Because if you can afford to do it, and you can take uh, Switzerland with you, then you know what? That's probably a good idea. Just bounce. Be like, listen, you're going to go get your other place, or a studio apartment, or whatever, and then you two can move on and do that. I, that's, that's it. Simple. Don't start a war of it. You just make the most accommodating solution that you can, and then you bounce. That's it. Because it was their responsibility to be together and pay for the part that's downstairs. And that's it. Your responsibility is is up in, in February. That's it. You hold no responsibilities to anyone after that. So just leave. Just leave and get out and be on your way. That's what I would do in this situation. Uh, you have to let them know that this is going to happen. Or, well, you... you do you have to let, yeah, you have to let them know, and you also have to let the, the person who controls the landlord know that this is what you're intending to do. You have to do that uh, on January 1st. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, start now and start your search now, because apartments right now is one of those things. Like depending upon where you live, what the availability is, who's gonna go with you, take that into account. So, but if you can get out in February, then do it. Next up. Am I a jerk for taking my teenage daughter's side when her aunt tore down all the posters in her bedroom? 
Uh, my sister-in-law is visiting for Christmas, and I was sleeping in my daughter's bedroom. From the first day she's been here, all she's done is complain about how my daughter's bedroom is decorated. Her walls are black, and she has a bunch of rock posters on her walls. My sister-in-law is very Christian, and she says that it's evil and that she can have no part in it. She kept asking me to make my daughter change it and take the posters down. I spoke to my daughter about it, and she said if her aunt doesn't like it, then she doesn't have to sleep in there. Okay. I honestly agreed and didn't feel like fighting with a teenage girl over a poster. Anyways, right before bed last night, I could hear my daughter kind of yelling and crying. When I went to see what had happened, I saw her aunt had taken all of her stuff off the walls and had accidentally ripped one of them, which was signed by the artist. My daughter was freaking out, and my sister-in-law explained that the evil posters gave her anxiety, and then she got anxious. The baby wouldn't stop kicking. When she got and then gave her anxiety, and that the when she got anxious, the baby wouldn't stop kicking and she couldn't sleep. I told my daughter to tape the rip poster back together and that she could put it all of it back up in the morning. I told my sister-in-law that she didn't like if she could sleep on the couch or find a... Okay. My wife doesn't like the way my daughter's room is decorated either. And, of course, she sided with her sister. She told my daughter if she did, if she put them back up, then she... Whoa. She told my daughter... If she put them back up, then she would rip them all up. She told me that she couldn't believe that I would suggest that her sister should leave. Okay. Your aunt is a psychopath. Okay. Your aunt is an absolute psychopath. Your aunt should understand that she is a visitor. She is a guest there. She has no right to make any type of, any type of interior recommendations or anything like that to the household. If she doesn't like it, she can leave. I don't know why the mother is siding with the sister, well, probably family first, but that doesn't fly in any way, shape, or form. First of all, you have a signed poster. Signed posters have value, and that's her room. How you raise your daughter is your business, but the fact is is you don't, you don't go into another person's room and rip down all their shit. You don't do that. Don't do that, and you especially don't do that to a daughter. Because imagine uh, one of the most, uh, what do you call it? Um, one of the most, uh, a, a, a dad's relationship with his daughter in the teenage years is some of the most influential. So if a daughter doesn't get the, the approval of her, if the daughter doesn't get the approval of her daddy, she will find another daddy. So you have to take that into consideration. So you sided with the daughter, which was the right thing to do. The sister-in-law is a psychopath and your wife is wrong. And you need to step and you need to present it in that case and let her know what I just said about if she doesn't side with the daughter if the dad especially doesn't side with the daughter the ramifications of how your daughter is going to think when she gets a little older could have negative effects. So that is something to consider, at least for your wife. What you did was the right, you took the right course of action. Next up. Is, oops, excuse me. Is it normal that my boss lied to me about who she was the first time I met her? I work in the healthcare field. Ooh, good for fucking you. After a period where our clinic was without a permanent supervisor, we were notified that a new supervisor had been hired and would be starting in the next month or so, but not given much more inf other information. One day, two coworkers and I working in a common area were approached by a woman who struck up a conversation with us. 
Our clinic has employees who work in and out of the office, and there are always new faces and staff members I don't always know. My coworkers and I asked this woman if she knew some general questions about what position she had been hired for and if she had started seeing clients. She gave vague answers but insinuated that she was working in the same program as us. The conversation was sort of strange since she was asking us a lot of questions about ourselves and our experiences working with the company, but I didn't think of it too much. About After about 10 to 15 minutes of talking, she introduced herself as our new supervisor and launched into an explanation of how not revealing who she is when she first meets someone is a tool she likes to use to see if people will tell her things to be more open and honest with her if they don't know her role when they when they first meet. My coworker and I were astounded that she was using a strategy that we felt was deceitful and dishonest. Since the first impression, I've had a hard time trusting this person's intentions of feeling more comfortable with her in her supervisory role. I keep thinking, is this a normal or acceptable way to start a professional or professional relationship with employees? Am I, wor- wor- am I wrong for having my guard up? No, you're not, especially in the healthcare field. This woman is a manipulative fucking lunatic. This is a person who's trying to, quote, make friends when in that position you don't have friends. So you're absolutely justified in your thought process and in your actions. And this is a person who's not going to do you any favors when the ball drops or when the train comes down the tracks. You are a expendable asset, and if this is your new supervisor, guess what? You are a statistic, you are a number, you are a quality score. So my suggestion to you is steer clear of this person, and she will not build any more trust if that is her MO for talking to people. You need to let people know who you are right off the bat because you were hired to do a job. So do your fucking job and let people know who you are. But you don't say it with authority. You just say, hi, I'm this person. I was hired to do this job. That's it. That's it. And go about your day. Don't go, hi, how you doing? I like your fucking jacket. Oh, those are your kids. Those are cute. Oh, by the way, I'm your supervisor. I'm the one who decides whether you get a raise or not. Okay? That's not how you do that. That's bullshit. And they're all conniving little bitches in that business. And I will go into further detail, hopefully uh, in a few months from now, to expand upon all of this. But I can tell you right now, this is not a woman that can be trusted. If a man did this, same exact thing. But this is not a supervisor to be trusted. This is not an employee in any capacity to be trusted. So you steer clear of her altogether and you make note, if you can, that this type of behavior is not one a supervisor should be utilizing. Okay? Let's move on to the next one. We're going to breeze right through these and get out of here. How can I make the most of a golf trip with one of my less likable bosses that I accidentally won in a charity auction? Just sold it. Our company does an auction every year to raise funds for a local charity. I happen to bid 17 on a $360 golf trip with one of the vice presidents of the company. And I'm assuming because of the COVID, no one outbid me, and now I'm stuck playing golf with this guy. This thing, The thing is, is he's one of the less likable VPs. There were two other golf trips that auctioned for $150 or more, which goes to show how people feel about this guy. I ne- shouldn't have fucking bid, dude. And I've never played golf before. And I would also really... I would also, I also wouldn't really know how to find common ground with a 50-year-old conservative white man. Huh? So here's my question. How can I find some common ground to not make this round of golf a bad experience and get on this guy's radar? The company is all about who you know if you want to move up and would love to have this guy at my side. Well, I mean... You bid on the trip, so why? Wh- what's the problem here? 
And what does it matter about a conservative white man? What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Conservative white man might be the, I don't know, is that the reason he got the job in the first place where he's hyping the position? I don't fucking know. Maybe he right, Maybe he made some of the right decisions for the company and now in his position to auction off trips. I don't know. But if you want to understand and move up in the company, you do need to commute with this guy, communicate with this guy and understand how he got into his position. And if you actually give a shit about working for this company, which apparently you don't, then, but if you do, then you talk to him and be like, this is my position in the company. Uh, but if you don't like golf, wait a minute, hold on. You don't like golf? Then no fucking go. If you don't like golf, give the auction to somebody else who would appreciate golfing. Okay? It's not like you like, if you liked golfing and you wanted to go golfing and you wanted to be competitive with somebody and swing the club, that's different. That's very different. You don't know much about golfing, which means you don't like golfing. So why are you going golfing? Am I reading this wrong? I never really played golf before. So why did you bid? Our company does an auction every year to raise funds for a local charity. I happen to bid 17 on a $360 golf trip. So why don't you take the, 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 the auction and give it to somebody else? You already gave it to charity, and now you're going to be giving away the golf trip to somebody else. But if you're going to go there to kiss this guy's ass, he's going to know it, and he's just going to feed you bullshit. So don't fucking go because it's not going to gain you any cred going there. It's not going to gain you any credit going there. And if you do really give a shit, then I suggest you go to the driving range, start smacking a few balls, and learn the fucking basics. And then you can real then you can actually get his attention by playing halfway decent on the golf course. Because when you play decent on a golf course, people will pay attention to you. People will compliment you. People will gravitate towards you in a, some fashion. Okay? So make a decision. Do you want to play golf? Great. Go smack a few balls. If you don't, Get the fuck out of there. Go give the charity to somebody else. Let's move on to the next one. Should I tell my wife how hurt I was when she sold a, a rare coin without telling me? Ooh, coin collector. My wife recently came back from the gold-silver coin merchandiser event and told me she had sold an old US $5 coin for probably less than it was worth. I was hurt, not only because I have a coin collection and would have been interested in knowing about and seeing the coin, but also because she didn't seem to understand how disappointed and hurt I was. She gleefully announced she was going to use the proceeds to purchase an exercise bike. I took an, a two-hour walk to work off my feelings and then skipped dinner because I had lost my appetite. Sometimes I, I feel that my feelings don't matter to her, that it's her way or the highway. Should I let the incident go and move on, or is this a long, crucial conversation called for? Well, look, you should always express how you feel in some capacity, in some uh, uh, formatted amount of time with this, your spouse or with your family whenever it's appropriate. It's good to know that they, it, they'd like to know that you have feelings, that you have a perspective on things. But you don't need to press your likes and your hobbies and your passions on other people. If they understand that you really are passionate about something then you let them know. If you're a real passionate coin collector, you just be like, listen, if you ever come across something like that again, or here's the thing. Let's just say that $5 coin was worth 500 bucks. Go and research the coin or research the series of coins that you think she sold and then go and show it to her. Be like, honey, you know that $5 coin you sold? Well, here's about 16 of them and this is what they go for price range-wise. The, and it's highly likely, given the information I had, that you probably sold something close to this. 
So going forward, anytime you have like a coin situation like this, can you show it to me first? I'm just, this is the thing. I'm really into this stuff. Please just show it to me first. That's all. And then go from there. Uh, but it is your passion. It's not, don't, don't yank somebody else into your passion. Like this is my passion. Like this is my thing. Like podcasting and making videos and creating content of some type, creating stuff in general. I like to create, you know, and I don't drag other people into it unless it's suitable to their environment. Like coffee, making coffee is a huge thing for me. I like making coffee and I've just taken the leap into roasting it now. And that, well, works well for people in my life. So creating the perfect blend is works out well for them. But if they're curing, if they're curing people, then it's like, all right, well, fuck it. Who cares? But you create your passions for you. That's your meaning in life, not anybody else's. So in this case, you let them know something, but you don't beat them over the head with it. So that is the end of today's, uh, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty much done for today. I mean, I, it's, it's late. I didn't want to lose uh, momentum. I was going to come in here. I was going to sit down. I was going to do the podcast. I was going to vent for a few minutes. And then I was going to move on with the dig Q&A, get everything out of the way. This wasn't a funny episode. This wasn't a, uh, you know, an aggressive episode. It was just like, look, here's the, let me just give you the basics. This is how I feel. This is what I'm up to. This is my approach to things and just go from there. It's That's what it is. Sometimes you just, this is me. This is like my kind of like my me talking about my day. But that's that's good. That's good enough for now. Anyways, um, and I don't want to fucking stretch this out to longer than it needs to be. So we'll go ahead and close it up at fifty one minutes. Uh, you can find me on you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on the fucking the social medias, which are probably gonna get broken up sooner or later or whatever. But you can find me on all those. You can find me uh if you want to subscribe to the podcast on the online or you want to go check out my YouTube channels. Go to YouTube uh dot com. Go to Positive Sarcasm and there's Positive Sarcasm podcast. Okay, figure out the two. You can also find me. Uh, I also post this to Facebook as well. And then, of course, for if you are uh, if you're an audio junkie, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where podcasts are available. You can download, subscribe, including my own website, PositiveSarcasm.com. Posing music, questions, concerns, comments, movie reviews, they can all go directly there. Supporting the podcast, you can go directly to the website and you click the contact donate section. There's a Cash App affiliate link there. There's a Robinhood affiliate link there too. So all that stuff i get a free stock you get a free stock boom easy money cash out after 30 days there you go so we are done for today uh this is thursday normally this thing comes out on wednesday but that's okay day late but no it's so worries okay we're done um thank you guys for listening watching supporting subscribing and i will talk to you all on sunday as well recorded here from the spare part studio this has been a positive sarcasm presentation Life is hard, and so am I. You better give me something so I don't die.
this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.